You're listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast with Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Now, crank it up. Hollywood, it's brand new year, and we are visiting the 250 list once again. We are up to volume five. Holy cow. So, real quick, if you're a first-time listener to the podcast, we have been doing the 250 list now for a little over a year. It's part of our regular series. The 250 list was originally an article that was written by Bobby Caron from XS Rock website, and it was published back in November of 2021. But he basically listed 250 hard rock and metal bands from the 80s and 90s that didn't quite make a household name for themselves, but he felt like they were pretty decent. And some of them are much more well-known than others, but there's a lot of deep bands on this list. And so, Sonny and I started doing a volume where we each took five bands from this list and shared them. And some of them Sonny and I are familiar with, and some of them were not. So we've been going through this. A lot of the listeners enjoy when we do this episode. And so it's a new year. So we're up to volume five. So we've each got five more for you. And we're getting into some deeper stuff. At least I am on this episode uh, we always try to pick some deeper stuff, but this episode in particular for me is fairly deep. Hollywood, what's going on? How's your New Year treating you? Uh, New Year's good. Got through the holidays relatively unscathed. We're a couple of months away from Monsters Rock Crew, so can't wait for that. And this 250 list, man, we had to have a spreadsheet so we could highlight the bands that we had already talked about, right? It's getting to slim picking. So what I started doing was I'm like, I got to start picking bands that I don't know anything about two of my five i have zero idea about and one of them had a picture that i could i didn't know i was gonna pick the band until i saw the picture and then i just had to pick the band (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah some of these are deep and some you've heard of so that you know this is a good mix yeah same for me i'm getting into some deeper stuff i shared a couple of things that i do own but there's two or three things that i really don't own a bunch of and don't know a ton of and so we'll get into this list but before we get too deep into volume five of the 250 list let's do this (laughs) 
It's time for the Crank It Up Music Spotlight. Okay, so tonight's Crank It Up New Music Spotlight comes to us from Dokken. At the end of last year, Dokken released a new record called When Heaven Comes Down, amply named after the tune Off a Tooth and Nail. I love that tune. Sonny hates that tune. But does Dokken really need to release a new album of new material, given the shape that the band is in and Don Dokken in particular? What say you, Sonny Pooney? Do we need new music from Dokken? Well, why don't we roll this song and then I'll answer that question. All right. Let's roll this song and then we'll talk about it. This is a song that I picked off the record, third track on the record, and it is called Is It Me or You? Here's a snippet. I can feel trepidation. Is it me or you? Drums sound great, riff is great, music sounds great. The verse is saying so lazy, no passion, no dynamics. The course was almost lazier than the verse was. I don't need this. <sighs> I will tell you that tooth and nail, under lock and key, back for the attack. Triple threat, a threefer. Three damn near perfect albums, if not perfect albums. I don't need this. Tell me you don't need this. Because this is not good. It's really interesting to me that they decided to put out another record. I'm not sure why in today's environment, the payback cannot be that great. Look, I'm okay if you say I'm a musician, I create, I write, that's what I do. And what am I going to do with the songs if not to put them out to the public? I'm okay with that. I am. I do understand that. And I feel for Don because much of the issues he has are not just old age. He's had botched surgeries. He's had health issues, and it has deteriorated his vocal ability. And we know that, right? We bust on him, and people bust on him. And, oh, my God, I'd never see this guy live. And, and I'm one of those people that, like, I would never pay to see them live anymore just because I can't. I can't hear those songs like that anymore because I am such a big fan. So I just choose to listen to the records and remember what they sounded like. Uh, I went and watched a video today from 1987. I mean, it's unbelievable. <laughs> you know, it's on the back for the attack tour and they came out kicking ass and, uh, you know, they're moving around. They sound great. Don sounds great. And so I can always go back to those YouTube videos. I don't need new music from Dokken, I think is the answer. And the response to this album was surprisingly pretty good. I like this song. Uh, I like the riff in it. I like that it's slightly different than normal docking stuff. I dig the song, but I'm with you. Yeah, and I know P. 
people hate it when I compare it to other things. But if this is Doc in 2023 and you compare it to Extreme and Winger 2023, dude, come on. Don doesn't even sniff those two guys. Look, Extreme's a little bit younger than Dokken, so I think there is a difference there. Winger might even be a little bit younger than Dokken. I think Winger's (laughs) making it sound like 20 years. We're talking about five. But you know what? (laughs) I mean, uh, I think in a musician's life, four or five years does make a huge difference, especially when it comes to singers. That's fair. I'm 100% with you. If you compare the quality of of a new winger record and a new extreme record versus a new docking record, we don't need it. I'd rather live in the past with that, I think. Please make sure you hit that follow button to subscribe to Growing Up Rock Podcast so you don't miss an episode. Okay, so getting to the episode, I'm going to start with a couple of bands. And I'm going to start with one that I know fairly well, actually, and one that I don't know a goddamn thing about. So let's start with the one that I know, Vicious Rumors. So Bay Area Brothers. Formed in 79, I'd classify this band as power metal, and they were originally connected to Mike Varney's Shrapnel Records. Being from the Bay Area, I've seen these guys live uh, probably four or five times in the clubs. They weren't flashy by any means, but you could definitely see that they were talented, and they knew what they were doing. They've released 13 albums in total, are still active today, but for whatever reason, they never quite broke in the U.S., and if you remember, some of these bands, like Vicious Rumors, were instead embraced by Japan and Europe a hell of a lot more than the U.S. Band didn't have major success, but have been around 40-plus years, so they've had their share of members. So they come and go. That is what it is. As of today, the only original member left is the guitarist and main songwriter Jeff Thorpe. The other members are Larry Howe on drums, Brian Allen on lead vocals, Gunnar Duray on guitar, and Robin Utbolt on bass. Now... All of you know, I don't usually like these power metal type bands, especially stuff like Vicious Rumors and all that stuff, but I do own a couple of albums, and I would say that my favorite Vicious Rumors album is Welcome to the Ball that was released in 1991. So if you never heard of this band, most of it, like I said, is available on Spotify. I would encourage you to go check out these three songs. Don't Wait for Me from 1990's self-titled album, Six Stepsisters from Welcome to the Ball, and Digital Dictator, the title track from an album of the same name. Here is a little bit of Six Stepsisters so you get a feel for who they are. I used to have a Vicious Rumors record because Vinnie Moore, right? Yeah. And I listened to the three songs that you 
put out there. For me, Don't Wait For Me was my favorite. I dug the riff on it. The vocals at times were a little bit too operatic. It was all right. It's not something I would go to nowadays very often. It was probably something that I went to back in the 80s. But yeah, it's just okay. I mean, and the shrapnel thing, yeah, that's not a surprise at all. That's exactly what some of this stuff is that we're going to be talking about tonight for sure. Yeah, and I'm thinking if these guys aren't Bay Area and I don't see them live basically by mistake because I'm at the clubs, I'm probably not into them at all either. And I'm not super into them, but, you know, I like a little bit of it. The next band that I wanted to bring up is a band that I've never heard of, don't know much about. They're called Dead Engine. So it's D-E-D. There's no A. They formed in East Lansing, Michigan in 1980. The lineup was Doug Hortzman on guitar, G.H. Lorimer on drums, Scott Litz on vocals, and Marky Desaad on bass. And it sounds like Marky passed away, so rest in peace. I know there's somebody in Michigan right now going, oh, my God, they're talking about Dead Engine. I saw them when I was seven. I'm thinking Backpack Brad's at the top of that list. Um, as far as I can tell, Dead Engine released two albums. Self-titled one in 85 and an album called Hold a Grudge in 87. Neither one's on Spotify, so YouTube's the only place you can find them unless you happen to have a mom and pop record store in your area, which I'm sure they're in the five for one dollar CD bin with a little cutout, I'm sure. Band sound is described as motorhead and hair metal combined, which is scary as hell when you first hear that, because to me, that equals fucking Fastway, and Fastway is not good. So... According to the mighty internet, Dead Engine is still active. Doug and GH are still continuing to write songs. I don't know for who. Maybe the local high school marching band. Who knows? <laughs> I checked out the two albums on YouTube. Honestly, they were a brutal listen. But if you are a believer that everything I hate is awesome, then try these three songs. Scream off of the debut album. High Rider from A Hold a Grudge. And Hot Shot off the debut album. Here's a little bit of Hot Shot to give you a taste. And I apologize that you, the listener, have to endure this. Let me guess. You loved it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, Hollywood Fastway, a thousand times better than Dead Engine. <laughs> okay. That's honestly not saying much. God dang, man. This was meh to me. My favorite <laughs> off of these was High Rider off of the songs that you gave me. And that sure as hell ain't saying much. I hate it when I have to go to you. <laughs> youtube to find stuff that should be the first clue if you have to go to youtube to find it because it ain't nowhere else it's because nobody else wants it 
<laughs> and, so, and so the band is the only one that's uploaded it to YouTube. Go and listen to what we did. And everybody else is like, uh, yeah, just stay on YouTube. That shit sucked. Not for me. Dead engine <laughs> is dead sucky. I swear to God, we have a band member's wife that listens to this, and we are going to get railed for not liking Dead Engine. We'll get the emails. It's fine. I'm sorry. Everybody's entitled to their opinions. I can't love everything. And yes, to the person that right now is writing an email going, do you guys even love rock and roll? Your podcast is called Growing Up Rock, but it doesn't sound like you like rock. I can't love everything, and I don't love this. It just didn't hit me right. Growing Up Rock is a proud member of the Pantheon Network. Pantheon is the place for music lovers. Check us out along with many other great music podcasts on the Pantheon Podcast Network. My first couple are not quite as deep as Sonny's are. So the first band that I want to share is the band Funny Money. So you may have heard of this band if you're a Kicks fan. If you're not a Kicks fan, you probably have no clue in the world as to who Funny Money is. So Funny Money was a band that was formed in 96 by Steve Whiteman and guitarist Billy Andrews, basically after Kicks broke up the first time around. They tried to make it on their own, but they kept getting requests for what else? them to play kicks material in their set and eventually they ended up doing a mixture of originals and kicks material now to me funny money sort of has a lot of similarities to kicks music and it's not just because steve is singing i mean obviously he's the voice of kicks he's the voice of funny money so it's gonna be similar in that way but the music is also sort of similar to kicks in a lot of ways it's not exact but definitely there are qualities of kicks i'm a huge kicks fan i love kicks and i'm sort of sad that they're no longer gonna be on mork and i'm no longer ever gonna get to see kicks again but i do give them kudos for knowing when it's time to hang it up and steve did that and i believe that it's gonna be true i don't think that they're ever gonna play again especially after i listened to that interview with him on eddie trunk it said a lot a number of people that were in Funny Money have come and gone. Most notably of musicians that were in Funny Money was Kicks drummer Jimmy Chafant and then Mark Schenker, who ended up being the bass player in Kicks for the later half of their career uh, when they got back together. But I would tell you they've got a few albums out. To me, my favorite song is a song called About Women. I, I love the lyrics. I love the song. But you can also check out songs like Bad Luck or Crush. I'm going to play a snippet of About Women just because I dig that tune so much. Well, I admit I don't know nothing about women. Yeah, I submit they're the mystery of mankind. Yeah, I admit don't Sex that boggles my mind. And 
Oh, I had heard of Funny Money before. I think I own a Funny Money record because I was doing a Kicks deep dive back in the day. And by the way, Funny Money has 250 monthly listeners on Spotify. Two, five, zero. Just to let you know, Vicious Rumors has 43,000, but whatever. Anyway. <laughs> um, That's hard to believe. <laughs> <laughs> bad Luck. I just thought it was basically a bad kick song. Crush. I liked it second best. It just felt like there was a lot of melodies in there, kind of Frankenstein together. I think I even heard hand jive in there. <laughs> uh, my favorite out of the three was also about women because well, I don't know shit about women either. So it definitely connected. <laughs> and it was a straight up kick song. And there's one thing that it's like, all right, it's Steve. So it's going to be kicks. Even the bouncy little guitar melody is kicks. So it's yeah, basically this is kicks without the KIX really. So. Yeah, that's right. I agree 100%. And that's probably why I gravitated towards it, because I do dig that straight up kick sound. So, all right. So moving on to my next band, Kick Tracy. I know there's a lot of uh, hardcore listeners out there that know this band and they have sort of an underground cult following of people that really loved that debut record. Kick Tracy was a band that was formed in the 1990s, the early 90s. They were formed in Los Angeles. Actually, they were formed in the late 80s in 88, but the band kind of came about around 1990. They were one of Dana Strum's pet projects. So Dana Strum, bass player from Slaughter, well, he has a big history in Hollywood. Like his past goes way beyond or way before Vinnie Vincent Invasion and uh, Slaughter. Many people know that he's actually the person that recommended Randy Rhodes to Ozzy. So he's been around the Hollywood scene for a long time. Kick Tracy was a pet project of his. He already had the success with Slaughter, so he ended up producing this record. And I understood it that he ended up actually helping to get their record deal. Whether that's true or not, I cannot verify that, but that's one of the things I heard early on. The band was compared to Guns N' Roses. I think that's mainly because of Stephen Chirot's vocals at times. He has kind of that nasally axle whine to his voice. But a lot of people said, hey, the band is much more complex than that. And I agree with that. They weren't just a straight up riff oriented hard rock band. There were a lot of weird things to this band, both lyrically and musically. The qualities of this band were almost caught in the middle of that grunge and metal movement. So they were coming out of the California hard rock hair band type scene but grunge was also starting to happen, and I think they were influenced by a lot of that as well. I saw them live once on that first album. They had an album release party, and I had a friend of mine that worked for BMG Distribution, and they were on RCA Records, uh, which is part of the BMG Distribution plan. And they played a club, and I got to say, they were super cool live. Like, Stephen Chirot had this quality about him live that was really hard to look away from like he had a lot of really strange weird mannerisms in which he presented the music but it was cool like it was jim morrison type cool just all these really weird things that he did that made him different than any other like hard rock cock rock uh vocalist that was out there they were decent players I enjoyed what I saw. I wished I could see them again live. Musically, they were sort of hit or miss for me. The first album they put out 
was great and then they broke up in the middle of the second album and canned everything but they put out this ep and i don't know whether some of the stuff on the second record was what was going to be on the ep but i like these songs off the first record hard time soul shaker and then out of my head off the ep was really cool the band consists of Stephen Chereau on vocals, Rob Grad on bass guitar, Greg Offers on rhythm guitar, Michael Marquise on lead guitar, Scott Donald on drums, and they end up getting rid of Scott Donald because he had a run-in with Dana Strom. They end up getting Johnny Douglas in the middle of the recording, and that is Kick Tracy. Check out a little piece of this one. All right, so there's a couple of things with Kick Tracy. First of all, I got that first album. Second, no matter what I say next, I am going to tell you that I have met Stephen Schro and he's the nicest guy ever. So nothing against Stephen. Okay, this is just, it is what it is. First of all, I don't think it's out of my head. It's out of my bed. On uh, iTunes, it's out of my bed. But anyway, uh, I like that the third best. I like the whole KTV thing at the end. I thought that was cool. The first 70 seconds, though, I'm like, what the fuck are we listening to? And then the song kicked in and I was like, yeah, man. Overall, it was kind of a hard listen. Then I went to Hard Time. There's no S. It's just Hard Time, by the way. <laughs> We've already established that I like plurals. Yeah, obviously. That song was okay. I just thought the vocal was kind of like in a weird place. It, just, it was a little bit tougher to listen to. The one I liked the best was Soul Shaker. Almost tribal at the beginning. Song had a good groove. I thought the chorus like could have been bigger. Like The chorus was a little flat. I wish it was a little more dynamic somehow make the song a little more dynamic but i like soul shaker the best 3307 monthly listeners 3307 just want to let you know that where does restrain rank they're at 11 <laughs> but they've never sold an album i'm assuming kick tracy sold an album <laughs> yeah so is our friend restrain they've sold records <laughs> Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash Pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. All right, so I'm going to go to my next two, and I'm going to go with one that some people know, I definitely know, and that is Impelitary. So guitarist Chris Impelitary, who's known in rock circles for being a shredder, he forms Impelitary with vocalist Rob Rock, which <laughs> they met in the mid-'80s, but every time I say Rob Rock, I they, like all I hear is up raw. Like, that's who Rob Rock is. But anyway, <laughs> they released an EP in 87, got some attention, then Rob Rock moves on to something else, and Chris gets Graham Bonnet for some reason. I don't know why. They release an album called Stand in Line in 88. Over the next 35-plus years, Chris would kind of play whack-a-mole between Rob Rock and Graham Bonnet, like depending on how we felt that day. One would be in the band, and one would be out of the band. And somehow, they end up releasing 11 studio albums and three EPs and are still active today. So as of today, because it might change tomorrow, Chris and Pelletieri's on guitars, James Pulley's also on guitars, Rob Rock is doing lead vocals, and Patrick Johansson's doing drums, and I think James Pulley is sometimes doing bass too. Just like I joke at times about Restrained, people joke that these guys are a Christian band. If you're wondering, why do you think Restrained is a Christian band? Do you just go to the albums and read the titles? Okay, and that's why I joke that Restrained is a Christian band. Well, these guys had the same problem. So somebody asked Rob Rock, are you guys a Christian band? He said, Chris and I are Christians, but James and Patrick don't necessarily proclaim themselves as Christians, so it is not a Christian band. Okay, whatever. I own two of the albums and one of the EPs. All three of them have Rob Rock singing because I can't stand Graham Bonnet, so I'm just not a fan vocally. If you've never heard any Impelitary, most of the music is available on Spotify. I would encourage you to try these three songs. Stand in Line, which is basically their most popular song. It does have Graham Bonnet on vocals. It's a title track from the first full-length album. When the Well Runs Dry from an album called Grin and Barrett. And Fly Away from an album called Answer to the Master. Here is a little bit of When the Well Runs Dry to give you a taste of who these guys are.
So I've heard of Chris Impelitary, but literally, other than the fact that I've heard of him, I didn't know shit about him. I knew he was a shredder. So I look at the songs that you have on there. I take the songs, I throw them on a playlist, and I listen to it, and I hear Stand in Line is the first thing that I hear. And I'm like, my notes say bonnet with two question marks. I said, it has to be. I said, it's got to be Graham Bonnet. (laughs) And sure enough, you just confirm that, that it is. And I'll say this. So Graham Bonnet has a pretty distinctive voice because I could pick him out of a crowd. And I was like, that's got to be Graham Bonnet. I didn't know anything else about Rob Rock or anything like that. My favorite tune off the three that you gave me hands down was When the Well Runs Dry. Uh, I like the riff in that, and uh, I dug it. I wonder why. So this guy, he's basically, there's a couple of these guys where you know the name, but they never really broke out. Is like, why are these guys not Ingve? Meaning, why are they not able to go and, I mean, pick a guitar player, you know, Steve Vai, Ingve, the guys that still make a living just playing guitar and doing whatever. How come these guys fell short of that, do you think? Because there was somebody else. Who were we talking about the other day that was sort of in the same thing? Was it that Chastain guy or whatever? I don't remember. My guess would be there can only be a couple of things, right? Either Impalatory's like, I want to be my own guy. I don't want to hang out with those guys. Steve Vai seems like a nice guy. Ingve does not. No. Right? So why would you want to put up with that kind of bullshit? And a lot of these guys don't want to do instrumental type albums. Like they want to do stuff that has melody and they're writing actual songs and lyrics and et cetera. And, you know, there's a difference between Ingve starting in 84 and Satriani being around early and Vi being in Zappa and being in Dave Lee Ross band. Now, if Impelitary is in Dave Lee Ross band, maybe his career is different. But I think it's a break at the right time in the 80s. That's the difference. And I just remembered the other guy we were talking about. It was uh, Axel Rudy Pell. Oh, yeah. Well, and he's huge in Europe, so he doesn't care. But same type deal, right? I mean, literally the same level. Like, I've heard of Impelitary. I've heard of Axel Rudy Pell. Both guitar players, both, you know, shredders, whatever you want to call them. And both basically have long careers because they're still going. All of them are still going. They're definitely not household names. And they definitely have never, like, showed up in somebody's band you know, that was looking for a shredder or, you know, playing guitar on Ringo Starr's all-star band, you know, that kind of stuff. It's just, it's interesting to me. Yeah. What I heard, I heard, I don't remember who said it. I don't remember what interview it was, but it was kind of like they were talking about marketing and they're talking about some of these either mid-level or unknown acts and how do they survive. And it's like, think about it. If you're worldwide, you've played the world enough to where some people know who you are. If you've got 10,000 core fans willing to spend 10 bucks on you a year, it's 100,000 bucks. Mm-hmm. You just got to figure out how to get the 10 bucks from your 10,000 core fans. Well, shit, Y&T's got 100,000 core fans. You know what I mean? So it's like you can make money. This isn't like Gene Simmons is taking care of his kids, 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 right? right. You're not going to get that kind of money, but you want to live or well, you can either go run the local McDonald's. Or you can get 10 bucks from your 10,000 core fans every year. Right. Sell a CD, sell a t-shirt. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, something. Like what you're hearing? Share this episode out. Post it to your favorite social network and let people know you're listening to the Growing Up Rock podcast. It will help us grow and we greatly appreciate it. All right, my next band. <laughs> this was the one. I'm looking to talk about somebody 
and I'm looking up these bands, and I saw an album cover, and I was locked in. <laughs> Bo Nasty. B-E-A-U-N-A-S-T-Y. Two words. They have 1,427 monthly listeners on Spotify. Yes, they are on Spotify. When this episode comes out, I promise to put the picture of the album cover that I saw connected to this episode. But all you got to do is go on Spotify, and you can check it. (laughs) But, dude, before we get to anything else, tell me how you felt about the album cover. I know this is an audio podcast, but (laughs) – this album cover is unbelievable. Sonny texts me. Sonny texts me the album cover. He goes, "Holy shit! This man is definitely going to be in my top in my uh, two fifty list this this coming episode." And all I could think of when I saw it because I have seen that album cover before and I've heard of the band, but I didn't know anything outside of that. And I probably chuckled the last time I saw the album cover, but all I could think of was pirate metal. So just, I mean, it's unbelievable. Like, I don't even quite understand. So the name of the record is what? Dirty But Well-Dressed. Dirty But Well-Dressed. So does that title in any way to you suggest that we should all dress up like pirates? Or the Three Musketeers? It's pirates and Three Musketeers at the same time. Yeah, why is that dirty but well-dressed? I don't know. I would think it would be much cooler to do like a Dress to Kill album cover type thing, right? Yep, absolutely. Okay, so anyway, band-wise, Bo Nasty, by the time they get around to releasing Dirty But Well-Dressed, it's 1989. Hair metal genre is basically dying. The band sound is very much like Britney Fox, who technically want to be the Three Musketeers and Pirates themselves. (laughs) So I guess whatever. The band members of Bo Nasty were Mark Anthony Fritz on vocals, George Bernhardt on guitar, who ended up later doing some stuff with Jeff Scott Soto, Brian Young on guitar, who did some stuff with David Lee Roth, Doug Baker on bass, and Mike Tarana on drums, who ended up working with Tony McAlpine and Ingbay. So some of these guys end up doing other stuff. Now, somebody in the biz thought that Bo Nasty would make a splash because they have Bo Hill actually produce this record in 1989. And in 1989, Bo Hill, that name was big, but obviously they were wrong. Now, luckily for everyone, this album, including the great album cover, like I said, is available on Spotify, so you can go check it out. If you want to give them a shot, try these three songs. Give Me Lovin', the title track, which is Dirty But Well Dressed, and then their version of Love Potion Number 9. Wow, they did Love Potion Number 9. Wow. All right, here is a little taste of Give Me Lovin'.
All right. So this was, I think I asked you when you said you were going to be doing this band. I had heard an interview with Bo Hill and it was a good interview. It was on our friend uh, Chuck Shoots podcast. He did a really long, lengthy interview with Bo Hill. And one of the bands that Bo Hill said he expected to be bigger that he produced was this band, Bo Nasty. And I went and listened to this record. And I didn't just listen to three songs. I actually listened to the record because I didn't know anything about this band. I'd heard of them. I think I'd seen the album cover before Sonny shared it. And we laughed about that. But other than that, I really didn't know anything about them. I don't own the record. I thought the production was great on the record. I thought the record sonically sounded very good for that time, right? You know, it wasn't horrible. I didn't spend a bunch of time with it. I went through the record and just kind of listened to it. And I think my initial thoughts were I was sort of surprised I didn't own the record. I was sort of surprised I didn't know more about them. But I think going back to it, the album cover in 1989 is probably what kept me away from getting this record. I probably took one look at that record and the name doesn't help. The name is really kind of stupid, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) So, so I think probably the name plus the album cover, I was like, fuck no, I'm not getting that record. But honestly, in listening to it and just going through it, I didn't think it was that bad. My favorite out of the tunes that you suggested was Give Me Lovin', because I don't need to hear Love Potion number nine again. Everybody's covered that song. I'm good. I'll I'll pass on that. But my favorite out of the three that you suggested was Give Me Lovin'. I guarantee the 1,427 monthly listeners these guys got, they searched Love Potion number nine, didn't know who sang it, clicked on that song and go, (laughs) Oh, that ain't what I was looking for. And that's how they're getting 1,427 monthly listeners. Yeah. The one thing I will say is one of my other notes was that I don't like the way the singer pushes his vocals. It's annoying. And that might have been something, too, that I didn't like. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Look at all the people here tonight. Oh, man. I got to make an announcement right here. Can you hear me out there? It's time to take a quick break in the action from this week's episode. Sonny and I just wanted to thank all of you, the listeners, for joining us each and every week. Whether you just found us today or have been listening for multiple episodes, we love your passion for music and rock and roll in general. We consider you all part of our loud minority family. Always remember you can communicate with us a few different ways. If you don't mind Facebook, head over to the Growing Up Rock Loud Minority Facebook group and be part of the conversation. It's a private group and all you have to do is ask to join, answer a few rock and roll questions, and you're in. If you despise Facebook, which many people do, then send us an email to growinguprock at gmail.com. We get everything there. You can follow us on Twitter and Insta at Growing Up Rock, which is one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K. In the event you feel entertained by our podcast, we would appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode and go leave us a five-star review either at Apple Podcast or Podchaser. Now, back to our regularly scheduled program.
So coming back off this uh, little break, I'm going to move on to another band that I didn't really know a ton about. I think I'd heard one song. I didn't own any of this stuff. And we're actually going to have the opportunity, if we want, to see this band on the upcoming Monsters of Rock cruise. But that is the band Spread Eagle. So the band is from New York City. They got a deal pretty quick after they got together. They were signed by MCA, which is where music goes to die. (laughs) The labels. So they have released uh, three albums. In 1990, they released the debut. They released Open to the Public in 93. And recently, in 2019, they released Subway to the Stars. That is after they got back together uh, after taking quite a long break. Spread Eagle bassist Rob DeLuca is also a member of UFO, which I'm sure makes Sonny super happy. But uh, basically, UFO is not active anymore, so he probably just played a tour or something with them. The band consists of Ray West on lead vocals, Rob DeLuca on bass, Ziv Shalva on guitars and rick deluca on drums i'm guessing maybe it's too much of a coincidence that rick deluca and rob deluca are the band i'm guessing maybe brothers i don't know somebody can answer that but you know at least rob and ray are still in the band and they're you know two of the original guys and the ones that did most of the writing and everything so i guess that's pretty good the songs that i would suggest would be Sound of Speed, the song Spread Eagle, and my favorite is probably the first song that I heard by them, which is Switchbade Serenade. I think that's a great tune. So here's a snippet of that. Okay, so I think I own that first album. I'm not positive. I, I didn't go and look, but I did go and listen to these three songs. Spread Eagle. Dude, a song title that matches your band name just never goes well. And I'm like, I'm listening and I'm like, God, this sounds way too much like Dangerous Toys. I'm like, I, I, I didn't really like that song. Sound of Speed, I liked second best. I liked the feel, the pace. There was a little bit less sleaze in the vocal. So Sound of Speed, I like second best. Switchblade Serenade will be the reason I want to see him on Monsters of Rock because I like the pace, the intro, the build. The vocal was right on the edge, but overall it was a great song and it was catchy. And I'm like, okay, I got to give these guys at least a shot on Monsters of Rock because that is a really good song. And not every blind squirrel just finds one nut like Fastway. So maybe these guys are all right. 
All right, cool. So we can go together and show up in the last five minutes of the concert. Yeah, yeah. And stand in the back like we usually do and go, yep, that was a song. All right, we're out. Johnny Rock of Shakes for everyone. Oh, shit. Don't waste my motherfucking time. All right, moving on to one more for me. <laughs> this band has an interesting past. So I am going to share the band Bonfire. And we're talking about the German Bonfire because I think there's a couple of Bonfires out there. So <laughs> Bonfire originally called Kakamon. I guess that's how that pronounced. Their German hard rock metal band founded by Hans Ziller in Ingolstadt in 1972. Yep, you heard me right. I said 1972. <laughs> in 1986, based on the advice of the record company and the management, the band changed its name to Bonfire. Okay, so there must be a dispute because original founder Ziller is still in the band and is the only one who has the rights to the Bonfire name. That is in Wikipedia. So I'm guessing that there's some sort of a dispute going on and they want it to make that absolutely clear that he is the original founder and is the only one that has the rights to that name and the only one left in that band. He's the one who wrote the wiki article. I'm telling you, he's the one who wrote it. <laughs> but what would surprise you, Mr. Pooney, is that this band has 17 studio albums, and they're still active today. They just re-released all their old catalog. Somebody bought their old catalog and re-released it. So I remember having the album Fireworks long ago like that was the only record i owned by them i got that record ages ago uh and i thought it was decent going back and listening to it now it's a little rough but the three songs that i would say to give a shot to and some call them melodic rock some call them power metal you can form your own opinion but the three songs that i would tell people to check out is don't get me wrong no more and hot to rock Check out a snippet here. So out of these three, my least favorite was Hot to Rock. And the reason was, to me, it was like one step away from Lizzie Borden and two steps away from King Diamond. And I don't like it at all. I'm like, oh, my God, I hope the rest of it is not like this. 
My second favorite was Don't Get Me Wrong. And when I saw that was on the list, I'm like, tell me they did not do a Pretenders cover. They didn't. 45 seconds in, they're doing the whoa, whoa, whoas. They're trying to make it a little symphonic. The song was meh at best. About four hours later, after listening to this song, I'm to do to do, you know, I'm doing my thing. And you know how you hum a song. I'm like, why the hell am I humming that song? And I wasn't humming, don't get me wrong. I was humming The Wild and the Young by Quiet Riot. And I'm like, I haven't heard that song in forever. What would make me do that? And then I started realizing that I was mixing the words of Don't Get Me Wrong and The Wild and the Young. And I'm like, wait a second, let me go back. And then I sent it to you going, oh my God, that's The Wild and the Young in the verses. That's why I'm doing that. So I like that song. It was meh. Uh, the, probably the part I liked was it was Wild and the Young. And then my favorite one was No More. I thought the chorus was good. I thought the vocal was okay. The music is very melodic. I think I have a double CD of Bonfire's Greatest Hits or whatever, because they did Sword and Stone and then mm-hmm. uh, from the Kiss thing, right? The Paul written song. So uh, yep. when I was doing a deep dive, I'm like, I got to have everything that's Paul, you know, that kind of thing. And I remember listening to those greatest hits going, man, they, these are greatest hits over the rest. Like, so a band's okay. I mean, it, you know, you can't be around since 1972 and really suck that bad, probably. But I thought No More was good. And the other two, I could live without. But did you listen to Wild and Young after that and kind of hear it? I did. I think I texted you back and said I could hear it a little bit Yeah, in the yeah. verses and stuff. Hey, Wild and Young, thousand times better. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right, so the last band that I'm going to share is Racer X. So people have heard of Racer X because, well, it's really Paul Gerbert's first real band. I've talked about Racer X before. They're a West Coast band formed in Los Angeles, 85. They had some pretty strong ties to the Bay Area, played all the clubs in the late 80s, early 90s. I would label these guys as the musicians band, meaning that, you know, they don't have a ton of mass appeal, but the guys were super talented and musicians love this band, right? So Basically, the same way musicians love Rush or Triumph, you know, same thing. Racer X was also on Mike Varney's Shrapnel Records. Doesn't surprise anybody. And, you know, he broke a lot of guitar shredders, so he did the same thing with Paul Gilbert. The band was originally Jeff Martin on vocals, Juan Alderte on bass, Paul Gilbert on guitars, and Scott Travis on drums. They released a couple albums, go on hiatus for like eight years, come back in 97 with the same four members released three more albums, and then they call it quits in 2009. The feel of the music is very Judas Priest, only it's at times a bit faster. And Jeff Martin is not exactly the metal god, but he holds his own pretty good with his voice. Most of Racer X is on Spotify. If you've never heard any of Racer X, I'd encourage you to try these three songs. Dangerous Love from Street Lethal, Sacrifice from Second Heat, and Miss Mistreater from Technical Difficulties. Here is a little bit of Dangerous Love.
Yeah, so uh, I own Street Lethal. I refer to Racer X as a GIT band. There were a set number of bands that came out around this same time frame that basically were what I referred to as GIT, Guitar Institute of Technology bands, where they had all these shredders. Paul Gilbert, I think he went to GIT, taught at GIT. There were a lot of these players that came out around the same time, and they all sort of, they were shredders. They all sort of played similar and, you know, did a lot of the sweeping stuff. I actually like Street Lethal, the record, uh, which is why I've hung on to it as long as I have. For me, out of the ones that you suggested, I think I like Dangerous Love the best and Miss Mistreater second. All right, so I'm going to share my final band of the night. This was a band that I had the album for, but I really literally don't know much about this band. I got the album as a promo. I had vinyl on it. I remember not loving them at first because they were sort of light for me. And it turns out, really, it's sort of the tale of two cities, or at least the tale of two different albums. The band Le Mans, the USA version, because I think there's a German Le Mans out there as well that's a band. They were an underrated band that released two albums and featured original Enough's Enough guitarist Derek Frigo. Their first release on the streets that they released in 1983 was one band. Then they released another record that was just simply entitled Le Mans in 1986. Completely different sound. So they basically were this sort of raw, hard rock band, stereotypical in 1983, and they released On the Streets. And then somebody came to them and said, you know what, y'all, y'all need to get a little bit more glammy. You need to get a little bit more commercial. And they ended up releasing Le Mans, which was the album that I had in 1986, which is why I didn't like it, because it was just super, like, watered down. Radio, airplay, MTV type stuff, just not great. Also, the band at one point in time, and this is just a side note, featured Randy Castillo and Leonard Hayes. I'm assuming at different times since they're both drummers in the band. I don't know how that worked. The only thing that I ever knew was that Derek Frigo was in the band at one point in time. uh, And some of the guitar work is pretty good. But the songs that I listed were songs like Addicted, Love Lies, Bad Reputations. But there's a whole bunch of other songs on, on the streets that are completely different and completely more raw for sure. So I listened to these three songs. I didn't know anything about Le Mans. I 
Leonard Hayes was dead to me after he left Lion T. So I don't know what the hell else he did besides, you know, cocaine and meth. <laughs> but anyway, out of the three, I like probably addicted the least. I thought the backing vocals were good. I thought the music was good. But the vocalist, when he's screaming, dude, he's hard to listen to when he's screaming. Bad reputation. The vocal sounded better to me. I liked the pace of the verses, but then I didn't like that they changed the pace in the chorus. Like I was like, oh, dude, what are you doing? Like, keep building on that. Don't bring it back. And then Love Lies, I like the best, which mid-tempo vocal in the verse is great. The chorus is okay. You know, the song is very much of the time. I liked it better than the other two, but just lacked a little bit of punch. And it felt like first album Bon Jovi type stuff. They're like two and a half years behind where they need to be when this album's released. And Bon Jovi's already headed past Slippery One Wet into New Jersey. And these guys are like riding coattails that's two and a half years old so maybe that's why they'd make it yeah i just don't think the songwriting's all that great and it really i mean the difference in the two albums is like earth shattering <laughs> they sound so yeah. different yeah neither one of them i don't think would have made a splash so it really didn't matter hey hollywood you know what time it is let's connect it to kiss you wanted the best and you got the best the hottest band in the world kiss For the Kiss Connection, I'm going to give you two. So we're going to go with a band called Silent Rage. Both connect to Silent Rage. Band was formed in Los Angeles in 87, released four full-length albums, Shattered Hearts in 87, Don't Touch Me There in 89, went on a hiatus, came back in 2001, released two more. In their heyday, if they had one, the band was EJ Curse on bass, Jesse Damon on guitars, Mark Hawkins on vocals and keyboards, and Brian James on drums, a.k.a. Brian James Fox who was also the drummer in White Tiger, which had Mark St. John, which is, of course, a Kiss connection. So to get an idea of who Silent Rage sounds like without anybody else being involved, here's a quick clip of Rich, Young, and Pretty. Now, the other Kiss connection is that second Silent Range album, Don't Touch Me There. It was a Simmons record release. And since Gene knew him, Gene would sometimes use the band to record some of his demos that he was going to pitch to Paul as Kiss songs. So, for instance, Silent Rage helped demo Domino, which was included on Revenge. But there was a bunch of other demos that didn't make it anywhere, and they ended up in Gene Simmons' vault that he started uh, selling in 2018. So here is one of the vault songs. And according to Jesse Damon, who is the guitar player, in an interview, he said, 
This was the first song Gene Simmons and I wrote together. It was in running as a song for a possible kiss album, but didn't make it. The lyrics weren't complete, so you hear Gene scatting throughout the song. Mark Hawkins plays guitar on the demo track. So here is Silent Rage plus Gene Simmons with a song you probably have never heard called Everybody Wants. Yeah, so I have heard of Silent Rage. I used to have a record, but I don't even remember what record it was at the time. They were just okay for me. I thought this song was not bad. It seems like something I would have, something I would own. I dug it. Oh, yeah. And every Kiss nerd is so super happy that we just played, you know, something that was possibly, well, it was in the vault and, you know, talked about Silent Rage. And I'm sure somebody's going nuts, going, I've got Don't Touch Me There. It's a guy with no shirt on on the cover. He looks like, you know, he's all fit and stuff. Whatever. I think I have that album, too. It's okay. What's amazing to me in doing this whole Top 250 thing is some of these bands didn't make it. And when we listen back, it's like, God, with the competition that you had around you, Whitesnake, Guns N' Roses, Aerosmith's Comeback, Bon Jovi's Ultra Hot. Like, how were you supposed to make it? <laughs> that is tough competition. There's always room for one more. The problem is, is that listening back to it now, most of the time, I don't think any of it's a surprise. Yeah. You know, the thing about it is, too, we can Monday morning quarterback this music and listen to it. But I think that you're always one good manager, one good record company at Zek away from becoming huge. You know what I mean? Like there's stuff that has become huge all the time that we're like, how, what, how? It's never just about the music or the band. It's about everything. It's about the right decision. It's the right place at the right time. It's the right manager, the right record company that puts money behind you. It's all the stuff, right? It's never just one thing. And I think that we both know that now we've talked to enough people. We've asked the question enough times where, you know, I mean, it is what it is. But, yeah, some of this music just doesn't hold up to time. And some of it even then was shitty. So, you know, (laughs) it is what it is. I think of bands like uh, Ugly Kid Joe. I'm like, how did people know who the hell they are? How did they get big so big on MTV? I get it that they're a little weird, so maybe that's what it was. But then I'm looking at the list right now on the sheet, and I'm looking at all the songs that we listed, and I'm like, you know what? I Hate Everything About You is better than every song we talked about today. So that's why people know who Ugly Kid Joe is. That's it. And in the case of Ugly Kid Joe, I mean, I hate to say it, but it really was a novelty that broke them, right? Yeah. I hate everything about you as a novelty song. And they followed it up with another novelty song, which is uh, Neighbor. So 
that's their entire success is built off of those two songs, really, honestly. Cats in the Cradle, I guess they had some success with that as well. Yeah. Uh, but I love doing these lists. I love visiting this stuff and I love experiencing some of this stuff that we don't know anything about. That's always fun because we don't know what we're getting ourselves into with some of the stuff and some of the stuff you got to find. All of it's not easily found, but some of it is. And uh, we'll speak the truth. We'll at least speak our opinions on it uh, and not hold back on the stuff. So, yeah, it's another volume in the books. That's volume five for us for the 250 list. I'm sure that we'll get into at least another couple volumes this year as we go. We try to do these series episodes, uh, you know, they come just about once every quarter, sometimes twice a quarter. It just depends on uh, how often we get around to it because there's a lot of different series that we do these days and uh, we just sort of rotate them. So thanks for listening. Give us your feedback on any of these bands. We usually get feedback. I I always loved Le Mans. They were my favorite band. Spread Eagle still kicks ass today, etc., etc. We like hearing from you, so keep communicating. Keep giving us feedback. Uh, and tell us how much you love Bonasty and Pirate Metal, uh, because we want to hear it. <laughs> Until next week, Mr. Pooty, do you have anything to add before we get up on out of here? Thanks for listening. I can't wait to get the email that says, oh, man, I saw Le, Le Mans and Bo Nasty on a co-headlining Waffle House tour in Idaho and Dead Engine. That was their first show. It was in 1991. They played at 3 p.m. and they did the best set ever, man. I can't wait to get that email. And I still love them today. God bless yeah. you. It's all good. Until next week. See ya. Later. That's the show. So let's shuffle, rattle, and roll us out of here. Until next week, always remember, peace, love, and rock and roll. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.